Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. So we're back on air. We are, we're back. Um, We had some fantastic feedback on the episodes that we have done so far. And lots of you got in touch for ideas and for topics that you wanted us to cover. Yeah, we've got some great episodes coming up, including this one on LinkedIn that we've been wanting to do for ages now. Yes, but before we get started on all that and introduce you to this week's guests, um, we need to fill you in with what we have been up to. We have been very busy little freelance bees. We have indeed. Um, We've been doing a series of seminars over the uh, summer. Well, I say seminars, but they've been webinars. They've all been online. We've done one for students on making the most of your summer. And we've also launched an online training course in collaboration with journalism.co.uk. This is a a freelance journalism course, how to make a success of being a freelance journalist. There are still some places open. So just going to give that little plug Um, that starts running on July the 20th. So go to journalism.co.uk if you're interested. Yep. And on top of all that, the Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community is growing by the day we're getting lots of new members um, and lots of interesting chat on there and our book launch is imminent people freelancing for journalists is being published on the 23rd of july and if you join our facebook community you can get a code for 20 percent off and if you're listening to this after the 23rd of july then look at you the book is already here Yeah, and the other thing to mention is that now we are doing these podcasts for free. So initially we had some funding from Sheffield Hallam University um, to do the first series because we were working there with the students, Um, but that's come to an end now. So this second series, Emma and I are all doing kind of off our own back. Um, We love doing the podcast. We want to carry on doing it, but we have set up a coffee page or Kofi. I never quite know how you pronounce that Uh, but this is a way of buying us a virtual cup of well Emma's put in the script coffee but actually I don't drink coffee so a virtual cup of tea for me or a virtual cup of coffee for Emma Um, and you can help support us to continue making the podcast if you wish Um, the link to the coffee or Kofi page is at the bottom of the freelancing for journalists website um it's also our posted um tweet on our twitter profile as well and we are actually in the process of developing a new website so we can have all this freelancing for journalists content in one um place rather than sending you all to different places and we have hired a lovely intern shout out to ethan uh who is a student journalist and he's going to do this um for us over the next few weeks. So watch this space. We'll let you know when that's uh, kind of up and ready. Um, In the meantime, you can find everything that you need to know uh, on our social media. So basically, if you're an experienced journalist looking to make the leap into freelancing, or you're someone who wants to freelance between jobs, or perhaps you're a student or recent graduate looking to know about freelance life, then this podcast has got you covered. 
you could even be a seasoned freelance journalist and we know quite a few um veterans so we say that are listening to us now so you know emma and i know that you never stop learning or, or figuring out ways to make your life easier as a freelance so you know thanks for listening and um we're going to get on now really with our topic this week yes yeah, so now all that um admin is out of the way uh let's get right to today's topic so we uh wanted to talk about demystifying linkedin now you suggested this one lily but i quickly came around to the idea after realizing i do not make the best use of linkedin i know i actually don't know much about it at all yeah um i've always been a bit of um a linkedin snob i suppose in that i've never really seen the point in it um if i'm completely honest but i keep sort of hearing journalists saying oh i've got loads of work through linkedin um and i've always been a bit like what how um so i've kind of just ignored it for as long as possible although it's constantly on a post-it note on my desk understand linkedin um or update linkedin profile um so i thought yeah actually this is something we need to do on the podcast we're both on LinkedIn, but we never use it. I log in about once a year and I see someone's messaged me and I've kind of completely missed the message and just thought, why haven't you just emailed me? Um, so today is kind of getting our act together, really, um, and understanding more about LinkedIn and what it can do for us as freelance journalists. Yeah, and I think um, as well as all that, I'd not really got my head around how to make the best use of it as a freelancer. I'd kind of always assumed, and maybe this is because when I started using it and set up my profile, I was in a staff job and I'd kind of just assumed that's what it was for, kind of moving around staff jobs. And then it felt a bit too big and complicated. So other than just having that basic profile, I sort of ignored it um, and you kind of get all these notifications and I just felt like it was just one more thing. Um, and it wasn't really until we started posting our webinars on there and I saw how many post views we had and that I had that kind of light bulb moment of, okay, this we're actually reaching a lot of people here. We need to be doing more. There's more that we can do with this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of the point of today. So let's get straight over to our guests um, because Emma and I are definitely going to be learning on this one today alongside our listeners. So we've got James Upshur, who is PR manager at King, the makers of Candy Crush. Um, but he's here today because his last job was at LinkedIn itself, where he led the UK LinkedIn for Journalists programme, where he's training journalists at the FT, Guardian, The Times and others on how to get the best out of the platform. Um, and we also have Linda Aitchison, who is the founding director of the soon-to-be-launched Nurture Media. Um, she's had recent bylines in The Sunday Mirror, Metro, Bella, um, current commission she's working on from Take a Break and the Huffington Post. Um, on LinkedIn, she has picked up more than £2,000 of work in the past month, um, made up of publicity and content marketing. So um, she definitely uses this more than we do. Um, so yeah, let's get straight to the questions. Yeah, so James, can we start with you? Um, basically just a, a question to start us off why should we as freelance journalists be on LinkedIn? Hi and thanks for having me on Lily. I think as freelance journalists as any other professional being on LinkedIn is really useful for being found 
but also for finding other people. It's that combination of things that makes LinkedIn really useful. You know, I, I used to work there, so I used to have to kind of give the, the very positive spin of it. But even though I've still, I've left, I still have it open on my computer every day. Um, as a PR person, I use it to kind of keep track of who I've met, which journalists I know. Um, as a journalist, you can use it exactly the same way. So you can twist it back around, keep track of who you've met, uh, keep track of what they're doing. I think particularly if they move between jobs, that's one of the things that it's really hard to keep track of people. You know, you, maybe you met someone five years ago and you got on with them and they've, they've moved into a job that now is really helpful for you. Maybe they're the commissioning editor of a publication that you really want to freelance for. Um, it's easy to miss these things unless you've got track of it on LinkedIn. It makes it so easy. So that would be a, a top tip to start off. Yeah, that makes a really good point. I mean, Linda, I think you've... Um got quite a bit of experience of getting work through LinkedIn. So can you give us some examples of how that sort of come about? Yeah, and just to um, back up what James has just said, a very, very recent example this week, in fact, is that the journalist Victoria Lambert um, was on LinkedIn yesterday with an update that she's now the education and careers editor at The Telegraph. So for everybody wondering about who to pitch in that specific field, there she is on LinkedIn letting people know. Um, but yeah, in terms of my work and focusing perhaps on the journalistic work, um, I had a piece some weeks ago um, in the Sunday Mirror, uh, one of a couple of pieces, but it was about a, a lovely story about a surrogate mum I shared the, a photo of that uh, story and a lady who is another surrogate mum has contacted me directly to say that she's had other media trying to get hold of her, trying to speak to her. She doesn't like their approach, but she's read my posts on LinkedIn. She said that she can see that she can trust me and so on. And she would like me to tell her story in the media. So I don't think in terms of freelance journalism, you can get better than that. Um, you know, when I wrote a piece recently in um, Metro, which was to do with a story from myself, 11,000 people read that. 11,000 people read the story through LinkedIn. Um, and that just amazed me. There it is. It's, it's published already online. Uh, you know that's got a phenomenal readership. But to get that boost of knowing that, you know, another 11,000 people have read your work and are seeing what you're about is a great uh, advantage, I think, of being on LinkedIn. That's, that's really impressive. Um, really impressive such impressive figures and that is a really interesting point actually because I'd never thought about I kind of thought about maybe it more of been like a CV so you're sharing what you're doing so other yeah people kind of see but I never really yeah. thought about the opportunity for getting case studies for example yeah absolutely you can use your journalistic skills on LinkedIn to find interesting people who you feel could make great real life or whatever your specialism is there's people there broadcasting content that you can pick up on you can forge that relationship and you can work on stories together so I think I've got 
three or four different possible real life stories that would work for tabloids and uh, women's magazines through LinkedIn. Every time you post, you're showing people who you are, what you do and why you're good at it. And you're showing people why they should work with you. Um, so it's great for social proof. And you're absolutely right. People did always think of it as a CV. And up to a point, it still is because you've got your recommendations on there. You've got your endorsements. But the important thing is, and something that journalists should be really, really good at, is providing engaging content on there. So, you know, you talk about impressive figures. In the last two days alone, my posts on LinkedIn have got 50,000 views. I mean, I find that quite staggering. But I could, you know, the next time I go for a job that's to do with editing or publishing or whatever it is, you know, I can point to that. I can show people the engagement. And I think it's just a bit of a mind shift needed because we've all thought of LinkedIn as a CV. But at the end of the day, it is social media um, and you can be social on there. And I always say that, you know, if people are going to trust me to tell their stories, I'm very happy to tell my own. If people want to tell me quite sensitive stuff to do with emotional health or bereavement or anything like that, I'm happy to raise awareness on LinkedIn and to be known as someone who does that. So you're building your specialism as well. So yeah, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think... Like you say, Emma, that it's that idea that it goes beyond the CV and and also you, that you know how many people are looking at your content because when you do something for an online publication, you're not privy to that information. You might be able to see on social media how it's doing, but you've got no idea how many hits it's getting. Um, and, you know, you don't want to be hassling editors about the stats. So you never really have any idea. It sort of just goes off into the void and you just hope people are looking yeah. at it. So it, it's really yeah. useful to have that, yeah. those kind of analytics. Yeah. And you can test, you can test your content. You can see what works best. And I know that James would agree that, you know, the most important thing you're doing on there is engaging and building conversations. So, I mean, how do you do that? James, can you, if we bring you back in here, how would you, again, go about conversations? Because, again, I never think of LinkedIn as a place to have conversations. I think of it as somewhere where you might post stuff. But yeah. how do you go about engaging with people? Yeah, I think the first thing is to think about it as having a slightly different mood to some of the other social media platforms. So when I used to teach the course, I would talk about, you know, Twitter as being an angry pub. And LinkedIn is sort of a quite a sort of a dull drinks after a networking event. It's that sort of slightly kind of more open-minded mood. People are there to meet each other, not to kind of uh, score points by being witty and quick, which I always feel Twitter is kind of doing. So it's about being a little bit open with yourself. I'm definitely, you know, not the most open emotional person in the world, but like I've put some fairly emotional stuff on LinkedIn over the times about mental health, about the things that I think are important. I think the last post I put that got a lot of engagement was around um, the H1B visa, H1B visa change in the US um, and the related visa restrictions. I did an internship uh, in, in the US when I was uh, 22 um, and I got a J1 visa. Now that's just been abolished by the president. 
Um, and I put a post about how sad it was that I wouldn't have had that experience now because that was really impactful for me. And again, you know, 36,000 views on that. I've only got 2,000 people in my network. So that means that those 2,000 people are sharing it wide. Um, the organic, tra organic traffic works on LinkedIn in a way that it, it doesn't on Twitter and certainly doesn't on Facebook anymore. Um, if, if something is seen to be uh, engaging people, if they are reading it, commenting it, liking it, um, people will see it beyond your network. So you'll start getting into the second level network. So, you know, we're connected. Um, but if I post something really engaging, um, your connections might see it. Um, and if it's really engaging to them, then their connections might see it. So stuff will travel across LinkedIn in a way that it doesn't on the others. Um, and that's where I think, you know, how do you write great engaging content? You know, that's a brilliant question that I'm sure you should do a separate podcast on. <laughs> on LinkedIn, um, like having something sort of short, pithy, a little bit open, um, that's going to get someone to react to it uh, in, in a positive way. That's what gets stuff across the network really quick. And, and also, if you think about it, you know, it's not conversation and engagement for the sake of it. All of this stuff can be researched into a next a next commission, a next feature, lots of ideas. Um, you get very surprised and encouraged by who you end up talking to. And I just kept come back every time to this idea that this is social proof as a journalist, as an editor, as a content marketer, that you can do what you say you can. Yeah, I mean, let's... Um let's dive into a bit more of the kind of nitty gritty about how to make the best of it. So are there any kind of key things you need to make sure you have filled out on your profile? Is it important? Does it matter that you fill it all out? Are those kind of, um, kind of details, James, can I ask you first, um, if you've got any advice around that? Yeah, fill it, fill it all in. So, um, there's, there's lots of different ways of using a LinkedIn profile, but you should definitely start filling it in. And I think, think about what people, think about what you want to be found for by someone else who is looking, you know, as a, as someone who commissions copywriters occasionally, I use LinkedIn to do that. I go on LinkedIn and I start looking for, I want to find someone who can write copy for me in this area, sort of finance and economics last time. Very few people have actually made it clear on their profile that they're available for that. So, you know, put that in your headline, put, you know, I'm a freelancer. I also do corporate copy commissions, you know, make it really clear um, that you're available and then people will find you in the search. All of your career history, super useful. So I think it just gives people a sense of, you know, that you're a, you're a legitimate person. I think as a freelancer, um, specifying the sort of the types of publications and the areas that you're interested in, that's really helpful. Um, and then use examples. So there's a really great feature on LinkedIn, which I use as a PR to show the stories that I've worked on, where on your profile, you can just import a link to an article that's from a non-paywalled site and it'll appear there as a little summary. So under the job title, you might say, I was a freelancer for five years. And underneath that, you could pick out 10 things that you think really represent your portfolio of work. Um, and that will make it really clear. I think the, um, the one I'd give a shout out for is uh, there's a, an author called John Curry. Uh, he used to be the Wall Street Journal's um, health uh, technology correspondent. He wrote the book Bad Blood, which if you haven't read is amazing. It's about the Tyrannos scandal. Um, if you read the book, it goes into kind of the role that LinkedIn played in that story about some of the people finding him uh, on LinkedIn. Again, he just had the perfect LinkedIn profile, making it really clear he is a 
a journalist interested in technology and medicine, had examples of his previous work. So when these people found the scandal and they had a story to tell, they knew who to go and say it to. They found him on LinkedIn and could go and say, I've got something for you and I know you'll be interested in it. And is, is there a, a knack to kind of who you should be making networks with, you know, who you connect up with? Because obviously I find every time I go on, there's like hundreds of people that want to connect with me and I look at them and some of them think, mm, why would I want yeah. to connect with you? you? You know, you do something really obscure. And I wonder if, should you just connect with everyone or, you know, should you be a bit more nuanced in your approach? Well, when I was an employee, I used to say that you should connect with people that you know and trust on LinkedIn. And there's very good reasons for that. And that's how I do it. So I only connect with people that I know, trust, you've spoken to. If you're using this as a freelance journalist and you want your content to be seen by lots of people, you probably want to ignore that. You probably want to connect with everyone. Um, uh, the more connections you've got in that first network, the bigger the access to the second and third becomes. So you're going to increase exponentially. If you can add one person to your network, then if they've got 500 connections, you've just added 500 to your second order network. And now my maths has failed me, but thousands to your third order network. Um, so that's really powerful. This makes LinkedIn confusing because then you can't remember who you've connected with and why. And I've got a pro tip for you how to deal with that. Every time you connect with someone, send them a message and say in that message, Hi, Lily, it was so nice to talk to you today on the Freelancers for Journalists podcast or the equivalent, so that you've always got a record in your messages of why you're connected. So if you don't know them, you can just put a message being like, oh, it's so good to be in touch with you because of our similar interests. You work out your, your code for I don't actually know you, and you'll always have it there so you can keep track. And Linda, how about you? Do you have a, a sort of tip for who to connect yeah. with? Yeah, um, another tip before that would be um, on top of James's fantastic advice, a big sort of talking point on LinkedIn is about what you put in your headline and you will see people who will say stuff like very, very specific, wanting to work with ambitious women to tell their story and inspire other people or something like this because of the area that they're interested in. So for me, my headline says, straight talking journalist and publicity specialist, award-winning storyteller, no nonsense trainer and apostrophe defender, right? So there's a tiny, tiny bit of personality in there. And people connect with me off the back of that and I get into conversations about grammar and all the rest of it. But I do, you know, that's important to me. So I'm learning as I go along in terms of what connections I want. In real life networking, you say, if you ask for anybody, you won't get anyone. You, you'll get nobody. But I'm, you know, I love to learn about people. I love, my mindset is, anyone on LinkedIn could have a could have a good story that I as a journalist because I I specialize in like real life or health or whatever it is these people can become good contacts they can become good sounding boards they can become good connections to take forward so I have recently taken the approach of come on then let, let's see how I can build my connections and I, I don't have 
loads and loads of connections because I've only been doing this properly a couple of months and I've managed to sort of double them. Um, I think I'm swayed a lot by, by uh, quantity, which isn't always the right approach. So I've gone from about 1,500 uh, connections on LinkedIn to just over 4,000. And I am learning that there are some weirdos within that. And I'm, and I'm, you know, which shouldn't be a surprise. I'm sorry, I know. So I'm disconnecting from them. I have found that, you know, you do get trolls on there. And I think in terms of your strategy for who you want to connect with, you follow your own way. You know, there are people who will tell you, you know, uh, that the best way is, is, quantity and other people will say I only want to get in touch with people that I can see are closely connected I hope that make I hope that makes sense yeah I mean you've both kind of already made really really good arguments for why I should be on LinkedIn and using it more and, and kind of doing way more with it I think one of the things that's always put me off a bit is thinking, oh, it's just another thing. I already have to post off on Twitter and do that and engage with that. And that, being a medical journalist, that's why so much of the stories are on Twitter. Lots of medics are on Twitter. And then you've got Facebook and it just feels like, how much time am I actually going to spend doing social yeah. media stuff versus how much time am I actually working as a journalist? So I don't know if... Um, um, you've got any tips about how to kind of maximize that? I, I'll go to James first and then I'll come to you, Linda. Thank you. A really simple one is that you can sync your Twitter profile to your LinkedIn. So if you've got something you want to post on Twitter and LinkedIn, you can just do it once on, and through LinkedIn, it'll, it'll go onto both. So that might just make life a little bit easier. The content does, you know, you, you have a longer character limit in LinkedIn. There's also things like, you know, returns are quite powerful in LinkedIn. Um, there's, a, there's a concept of broetry um, which was this sort of slightly douchey LinkedIn post you see where people kind of space it all out. It's because they want you to click on the read more because that counts as engagement. Um, and so that will help you see it more. So you want to you want to write more in a LinkedIn post than a tweet is my main point. Um, so have to think about that. Um, balancing two different ones. I, I find that they're both useful. I don't find LinkedIn nearly as distracting as Twitter. Um, I think Twitter I can disappear into for hours, whereas LinkedIn I, I treat more as, oh, I have a question, I'm going to look something up, I'm going to check where that person is, I go, I use it quickly, I leave. I have it, I have it as a pinned tab in my Chrome, so it's always open whenever I'm, I'm at my work computer, so it's always there, I know I can dip into it, but I don't find it sucks up the time in the same way. Um, and how about you, Linda? Because this is something that you've been kind of focusing on quite a lot in the past couple of months. So have you found that it does take up a lot of time or have you worked out ways to... Yeah, I'm purposely taking time uh, to do it. I've virtually come off Twitter. Uh, my reasoning is that if you think back to what we said uh, of, you know, LinkedIn started out as a CV site, for me, it still has got that professional underpinning. It is still all about all about work, however much you engage with people. I've got quite tired of how vile uh, Twitter can get. Um, and I'm using LinkedIn, you know, every day. I'm posting every day. And in terms of Twitter, I'm just not taking the time because... I'm not, I'm not physically seeing the benefit, but, but LinkedIn, you know, really is showing me results in terms of getting work, 
uh, building relationships, researching work and, and so on. And you've seen that kind of return really quickly. So it's not like you've had to invest a year and then... No, I mean, I, um, I think a lot of it for freelance journalists, a lot of it is about, it isn't about LinkedIn per se. It's about the networking skills that you grow and learn in real life about engaging with people and, and applying those to LinkedIn. And I think that's the best platform to do it. You know, I think that a couple of months ago, I was pretty near where, where you are and I would look at people uh, posting quite jokey, lighthearted personal stuff on LinkedIn. I think, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> but I can see now that is, that is, a, good, that is a good way to get, to get known, to get seen. You know, just that human contact when you share something and you get this amazing feedback. It's a, you know, that's a very, very positive, a very positive aspect of it, you know. But in terms of uh, turning over more money, then, yeah, LinkedIn is, is definitely helping. I'm yeah, just, I mean, Lily and I are kind of coming out at this from a we're experienced journalists like you, Linda, we've been doing this for a long time. And now we're wondering if LinkedIn is something we should be doing more of. Um, but a lot of our listeners are students or recent graduates. Yeah. Um, so James, what are the benefits of making sure you've got LinkedIn right, right from the get-go, right from the beginning of your career? I think the main one for me is going back to one of the first things I said about you just don't know who's going to end up where, especially when you're at the beginning of your career and you're, you know, you, you, you're people passing by really fast and maybe you'll never see them again. If you can connect with them on LinkedIn, then you're just going to always have some sort of track of what, what they're doing for work. My job at LinkedIn came about from someone I'd met like seven years before, connected with, um, and ended up having a chat with when I was job hunting. So, you know, that was sort of the perfect LinkedIn experience for me. As a journalist, I think the same thing would apply. So, you know, someone may end up in a position that's really helpful for a story. They may end up in a position that's really helpful for commissioning. Um, and you just don't know at the beginning of your career. So it's good to start connecting with them so that you have got that reason to get back in touch later on. Yeah, one of the things I wondered is you've talked about kind of uh, using it so that people can find you and they kind of know that you're a, a trusted journalist or that you do certain types of work. But can you do it the other way around? Is there a way of sort of connecting with people, connecting with people and, um, and going to them, sort of offering yourself for work? Does it, does it work both ways? I'm under Linda. Have you got examples where have you have you approached people and said, you know, pitched an idea to them or, or told them you were available for a certain type of work? I haven't found it necessary, if that's the right word, to do that. But I certainly would. It's more about for me. It's always, always sorry. It's always going to be about building relationships. And certainly, if I felt comfortable. I would go to somebody and say, you know, we were talking about this, I can help you with it. So for example, um, years ago, and this, this was on Twitter, I can remember getting a regular job to write for the Technobile section in The Guardian. And to this day, I'm convinced I got that job partly because I chatted to the editor 
about reality TV on, you know, on a Saturday night. And people, I think, just can't make the connection, like, why on earth would you have what they see as this inane conversation? But it's all, you know, it's all done on a professional basis. So, yes, yeah, sorry, that's a long-winded way of saying I absolutely would pitch myself to somebody have because I'd have the confidence that they've seen my posts, they've seen what I'm about, I've got a clear uh, profile saying what I do, if they post about something, a problem that I feel I can help them with, like raising awareness, like getting their story out there, like editing a new publication they're in charge of, then yeah, I would absolutely go to them and say, I'm available, you know, yeah. I'd add to that, like, one of the things I think, you know, one of the things we're talking about is journalists who are not active on LinkedIn, um, and many of those are going to be also the, the commissioning people. Um, so when you look at someone's LinkedIn profile, before you think, oh, I'm going to reach out through LinkedIn, you can figure out whether or not they're active. Um, a really good tip uh, on the homepage of someone's profile, if behind their picture there's a blue box with circles and lines like on yours, Emma, that means they're not using it actively because um, that's the default picture. If that picture has changed to anything else, you know that that person's at least spending some time on their LinkedIn profile. And then you can see if they've posted, you can see if they're commenting, I've, I've made the mistake sometimes of like, as a journalist pitching, uh, sorry, as a PR, pitching journalists uh, via LinkedIn, because it's been sort of my default one of keeping track of you all, um, and uh, not getting replies back because I've pitched people who are not very active. Those ones, you want to go and take it to Twitter, you want to find their email address out, give them a call, something else. It might not always be the best place to make the contact, um, but it's a good place to, to get the intel. Um, James, you'll know this. LinkedIn Premium. Do I need to pay for any added benefits or can I do everything I need to do in the free version? I've got two bits of good news. Um, the first is that you can probably do everything that you need to do in the free version. The second is if you're freelancing for like a, you know, a, a, a national at any point, you do not need to pay because LinkedIn has a program called LinkedIn for Journalists I used to work on. Um, and they will give you a free premium upgrade if you attend a little training session with them. Uh, if you just Google LinkedIn for journalists, you go on it. They were always a bit funny about freelancers because obviously it's a bit difficult to keep track of who's a freelancer versus who is just anyone who wants a free premium account. Um, so they, they, they do check where like they check whether or not you've been freelancing for a publication on their list. Um, but have a, have a look at it and see if it's applicable to you. If not, the free version is great. If you're willing to spend the extra money on the on the premium, I mean, I love it. And it's I've had premium for so long now, I can't really remember what the free version is exactly like. Um, but so far as I know from talking to other journalists, you can get most of what you need. What what is on the premium version? You get more searches, more messages. Um, so I think that the big one is the the in-mail, which are the messages within LinkedIn. If you're not connected to someone on LinkedIn, you can only send them a message if you're premium. Um, and you can also do things like as a premium member, you can set your own messages to receive messages from anyone. So I mine is set up like that, which has always been useful. And again, if, if you're a freelancer who wants to be contacted, that's useful. Um, just reducing the friction between someone thinking, oh, yes, I'll send you a message and them actually doing it. Linda, uh, do you use the premium or are you on the free version? I, try, I tried it out. As I said, I'm testing things and I didn't feel that it was needed because uh, I keep banging on about my thing is engagement 
So the engagement that leads to relationships, that leads to commissions, that leads to questions and answers, you do all of that. You can do all of that without spending the money on, on, on premium. And um, there has been so much good advice here. I feel like I've learned, I've, all this has done is underpin how I knew nothing about LinkedIn. Um, so I think, have you got any more questions, Lily? I think this, it's just been incredibly useful. No, I've actually been, this is the first podcast I've been taking notes. <laughs> I could see it. She's been taking notes the whole time. Amazing. Uh -huh. I'm going to listen to this back straight afterwards so that um, I can uh, make sure that I've taken all that in. Um, so yeah, I'm going to head straight over to LinkedIn after this to get my profile sorted. Yeah, it's definitely again at the top of my to-do list. Thank you very much um, to both James and Linda. Um, and we hope everyone that's been listening has found this just as useful as we have. Also, please do get in touch and let us know how your use of LinkedIn is going. Have you had any successes? Have we given you some useful tips here? Um, we, we definitely, Emma and I, I think, feel that we've picked up some good tips and we're going to go and crack on and, and make sure we do much better at this. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, if you have any questions, uh, feedback for us or ideas for future topics, um, and you would like to get in touch, you can email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. So I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at, at Lily Cantor. You can also follow the at freelancing for profile on Twitter, um, which is for the podcast and also has information about our training and community um, we've also mentioned you can join our facebook group which is also called freelancing for journalists and there are lots more tips and advice on there there are also some commissioning editors lurking in there that put out calls for pitches and we will be putting up a 20 percent discount code for our book freelancing journalists everything is freelancing for journalists um, in that group as well um, yeah, so we will be back next week to talk about how to get started in freelance journalism. So if you know any recent graduates or journalists who found themselves looking for a new job, now would be the time to direct them to the podcast. Yeah, so that's next week. But for now, goodbye. Bye.